Thank you, music team. Also, thank you very much for myself being part of the music team. Boom, boom. <laughs> That's it. Hello, everyone. My name's Roger, and I have been a part of this church for almost 12 months now since we moved down from up there at the, uh, the mid, mid coast from the Foster area. Uh, for those who don't know me, I used to be the pastor up there in Foster. And I've come and joined the team here to looking after you beautiful people. And my wife Katrina and I just love serving in this house. There's nothing better than serving in God's house. Because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, everything else in this world is going to come to an end. But one thing that's not going to come to the end in that is Jesus' church. This is something that we're setting up for eternity isn't it, you know? And if you get involved, there's very, very good superannuation benefits. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Well, I'm going to continue on today on Pastor Phil's wonderful series on the overcoming spirit. And there are many things that we need to overcome. This world is a world that has got troubles every single day. Has it not? You know, yep. Who's had some troubles this week? Yep. It happens to the best of us, the least of us, the highest. No matter who you are in this world, there are going to be struggles. And God has given us the freedom to actually become overcomers. And today, I'm actually going to, my, my message today is called I Am. Because guess what? I am an overcomer. And I want you to be able to make that declaration yourself. Turn to someone and say, I am an overcomer. You've got to own it. When you say, I am an overcomer, it's not like, I think I'll be an overcomer, I want to be an overcomer. No, no, let's be a church. We make that declaration, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. In John, 1 John 5, 1-4, we read this. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father and loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Say that, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ has put us in a position of overcoming. Who is it that overcomes the, uh, overcomes the, the world? Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in my message today, I'm going to go through a few I am's. And my first I am that I'm going to speak about is that, um, that we... We need a saviour. I am in need of a saviour. Are you in need of a saviour? Are you doing so good? You don't need any help? Um, well, if that's you, you don't need to be here any longer. Say bye. No, but I think we all need to actually stay here. We need a saviour. Jesus says you must be born again. The born again believer actually gets the ability to be an overcomer. We need a saviour. The world would want to tell you that you can do it on your own. The world hails people who do it on their own. Don't they? Old Blue Eyes sang a song. Remember what it was? I did it my way. You know, and some of us can sing it really, really well. And we've done a great job of doing that. But the, but the building up of ourselves is like if you climb the ladders out there in the world of success, you'll find that at the top of the ladder, you've had your ladder leaning against the wrong wall. Because the success of this world will not amount for anything. It is, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we need to be out after a saviour. Our saviour is so personal. Katrina and I, we bought a property at the beginning of this year and we actually have the delight of actually having lovely acreage. But one of the things that comes with our acreage is that we're not connected to the water. We have our own tank that has to fill, be filled up with water. And in living in town, we were just thought, you'd never thought about 
the, the water supply, you know. He says, okay, you know, sometimes there's restrictions, but there's always water coming out of the tap. But at the moment, we have this tank situation, and I don't know if at your place, but at, at our place, over winter, it's been pretty dry. And Katrina's there going, how much water have we got? Because we don't have a gauge on this jolly thing. So we're just thinking one day they turn on the tap and grip, uh-oh, no water. But thank goodness, praise God, guess what, it's raining. <laughs> and I was thinking about this wonderful thing, you know. You know, when you live in the world, you plug into the world and you want to get life from the world. But, you know, that source will ultimately run, run dry. And when we become Christians, we actually tap into God. And in God, it says there's a river of life flowing from the heaven and flowing down to us. And we need to stay connected to that. Forget about the world. Forget about the Warragamba Dam of the world, as it were, in meeting all your needs. Let's turn to the, the heavens. And let the heavens open up to us. And let's be ready to receive. Are you ready to receive God? You know, us Pentecostals, we don't come to church and worship like this, do we? We come and we worship, hands raised up, being a big funnel, saying, Lord, give me everything you've got. Are you in it? In our church, C3 Tugger, we need to be the ones that, no, we're in it. Are you, are you in it? And the answer should be, I am. Not, I think I might be, but I want a confident, I am. When I come to church, I come to church saying, Jesus, am I going to be, is anything going to happen for me at church today? I'm expectant that God is going to do things, you know. I've got an I am going to be there. I'm in for it. It's going to happen. And God listens to it. That's faith. Who overcomes even those who have faith? So we have to be the ones with faith. Are you the one with, who's got faith? I am. What about you? What's your response? What's that? What's your response? I am. I am, I am someone who responds. Jesus actually is the, is the one who he stepped up and he, someone said, was up in heaven, conversation going on, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, looks down, seen on the world. You know, these people down there, they're struggling. They need a saviour. Who's in for it? Jesus goes, I am. Yeah, he was the one who was willing to go to the cross. He was willing. He says, I'll, I'll do it. I am. He says, I am the way. In John 14, 6, we read this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that decision that was made in heaven, before, before time began, when they chose the way for salvation in this place, in this world, it was already declared that Jesus would be the way for salvation. There is only one way. Do not be mistaken. The world would say there's multiple ways of salvation, but it's not true. It's not true. You can't actually... And people say, oh, there's many ways. Well, Jesus was very, very exclusive in the way. But Jesus' words are incredibly inclusive. His words are inclusive. Because it says in my Bible, in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish. Whosoever, anybody, everybody, they will not perish, but they will get eternal life. Our gospel is a gospel that it is, it is the, there's one way to heaven, but everybody's invited. We are inclusive. If people tell you, oh, your gospel is exclusive, you say, no, 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 that's not true. It's inclusive. You're invited. If they've said that, you're invited. Jesus died for you. This is where we need to be bold in our witness and tell people of the love about God and thinking, oh, they're not going to understand. I'm preaching to myself here too. I need to be the one that steps in and says, yeah, and be bold and actually share because sometimes it's scary out there because other people have strong opinions. But I tell you what, their opinions will just fall down when they stand before God Almighty because my God, is an, oh, he is a righteous God and no one can hold anything against him. No one can say, Jesus didn't do enough for me. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he did a complete work of salvation to those who believe in him. And that's why we stand confidently, we stand confident on the cross, confident in what Jesus has done, because the penalty of our sin is death. So we need someone to stand in that place. 
And when we look at the Old Testament and in the rules of the Old Testament, when they set up the, the temple and when the sacrifices came in, the sacrifice that we needed to bring in for our, to, to cover our sins was a perfect lamb. And when our perfect lamb, we thought we had a perfect lamb and it came there and the, and the priest looked at it and said, it's not perfect, there's a blemish. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? God set up a way that you could have a substitute. The law of substitution. He says, look, we'll take that lamb and we'll give you one that's perfect. That's what God did for you and me. Because I come along and I've got sin in my life. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. And Jesus says, I'll be your substitute. How about I die for you? And I says, yes, please, I receive it. And so I've received the Lamb of God. You've received the Lamb of God. And if you haven't, he's available to receive today as your personal sacrifice that will cover every single sin that you've done in the past, those things that you're struggling with today and the things that you struggle with in the future. All our sin went to the cross 2,000 years ago because of the substitute substitution of Christ the perfect lamb for our lives this is our saviour this is our Jesus he is for us you know our good works aren't good enough Job in the Old Testament is, I believe it's the oldest book in the, in the Bible Job God actually was sitting in his throne one day and Satan of all people came into the throne room and, and, and challenged God saying, oh, that Job down there, he's got all the good stuff. His life is going well. He's got the vineyards. He's got the, all the cattle. He's got a beautiful family. And, and, and Satan says to him, hey, this guy only loves you because of all the stuff you've given him. And God goes, yeah, you know, I bet you that's not true. And he allowed Satan to actually test Job. And Job lost he lost his health, he lost his family, he lost everything he had. Everything was taken away from him. And one of, one of Job's cronies, Eliphaz, have you known did anyone have an Eliphaz around the place or a friend of yours? No? Anyway, Eliphaz, he challenges Job and he says these things. But now when trouble strikes in Job 4, 5 to 6, when trouble strikes, you lose heart. Whoever loses heart? I mean, I lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Now these two things that, that Eliphaz talks about, our reverence for God and our, and our integrity are very important pieces. But the reality is our, our integrity is not perfect. And our trusting in God isn't perfect. But you'll try to actually live that way. There are... There are People right around this world who are trying to live the right way. They believe that they're do, living their life correctly. But when trouble comes, there's no security because what they've, they've, they've built their lives on shaking sand. There's no foundation. We need a foundation. I was very, very fortunate in my life that my, my parents took me to Sunday school since when I was two, which was wonderful. And I was actually the last one standing in the Sunday school that I was attending and they actually ended up saying to me, Roger, what are you doing here? We've got nothing for you. Run, run along, you know. I'm like, goodness gracious me. But in that place, I'd actually learnt that Jesus was the Son of God. I'd learnt that the Bible is the Word of God. I'd learnt that God is God Almighty, that he had created all the heavens and the earth. And I would look at creation and think, wow, this certainly has got the fingerprint of God on it. And i try to live as well as I possibly could and I knew that I failed miserably and I was not really not a too bad chap um, at school we had the cane and I must have been very good because I got lots of cane I've got caned a lot um, you know um, and I, I think that I'm I'm pretty smart because you know um, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes and I think I've learnt from those things so if you've made lots of mistakes too you know you're getting a bit of wisdom and stuff. But all these things that I've had were not sufficient for me to actually get into the presence of God. I would pray and I remember praying to God, 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 I want to touch you. And I've really felt that my prayers hit the ceiling and fell to earth. I needed a saviour. I, I didn't, they hadn't actually taught me about how to actually, I didn't, hadn't led me into a, the, a prayer of salvation to actually ask Jesus to come in, to be my saviour. And when I did, 
oh my goodness, the next day I remember waking up, the heavens were open, my prayers were received. I wasn't, wasn't walking around heavy. I was, there was a lightness to me that no longer did I have to rely on my own efforts, but I was free and was actually able to worship. But over time, I continued on my Christian walk. I started actually getting heavier and heavier. If you saw me walking around, I, I used to work at the ABC, you know, the Australian Broadcasting Commission. I think there was a corporation, then it became, no, commission, then it became a corporation. And I used to work there. And a, a fellow Christian was there. His name was Jeff Bullock. People might not remember Jeff Bullock. He wrote the song, The Great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And he was a cameraman there with me. And I was walking around. And he, and he said, Roger, Roger, you know, hey, 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 you're always walking around heavy. Because I'd shifted from a gospel of grace into a, a gospel of works. I thought that I had to work now to actually be perfect. It was my actions that actually made me perfect. And I was, it was works-based. And it was heavy. It was hard going. And, and I was told by Jeff, he says, you've got to read Romans 8.1, buddy. Read Romans 8.1. And Romans 8.1, it says, For now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who will not walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'd been walking in the flesh. I'd got my salvation through the Spirit of God in accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. The Holy Spirit came into me. He sealed me that I now belong to God for all eternity. Amen. Paul says that we're actually like a written letter. You and I, we're, we're a letter. And there's a seal. You know how the, the kings would get their ring, their signet ring, and drip some wax on that. And, and now this letter is from the king. Well, you and me, we're like that. We're letters from heaven and we've got that seal of the Holy Spirit. But I'd lost my identity. I was walking in my own strength and my own ability. I was told, Gee, Roger, you've got to be like Jesus. And I think, well, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. That's a heavy burden. I've got to be like Jesus. I've got to be like Jesus. That was heavy stuff. It was heavy stuff. But understanding now there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh where we have to do, 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 do. It is a place where we receive the Holy Spirit and it's the work of God. My salvation was grace. I now walk in grace and mercy. It's a gift from God. We've got the Holy Spirit within us. We've got to understand who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us because otherwise you'll find your Christian walk, it will be heavy because it'll be all about what you're doing and not about who you are, that you can actually say, I am. I am saved. I am clean. My sins have been washed away. So I, I am no longer guilty. I no longer have shame. I am free. Why? Not because of what I've done, but what Jesus did on that cross has set me free. That change that happens for us. The third I am that I have here is that God says, I am with you. You know, I can't run away from God. And some people do. And I always find that when you have strife in your life, you've got a choice. Run to God or run from God. Yeah. Have you ever done it? Have you ever had strife in your life and you run from God? Yes. And it doesn't work well, does it? doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. God goes, okay, do it if you what you want to do. But there will be a consequence of running away and you suddenly run away and you're thinking, oh, it's a bit, gee whiz. Whoever ran away from home as a kid? I didn't go. How far did you get? You get miles away? Then... <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. You run away from God and you go, oh, right, you know. The Holy Spirit's going, come on, come on, grow up, you know. Put your big boy shorts on, you know, and come back, you know, okay, sorry. Oh, how, how beautiful it is that even when we run away from God, he is always waiting, saying, he's waiting, come, come on, hurry up, come on back home, sort of thing, you know. I've got a dinner ready for you. You know, he's, he's, he's waiting at the door. The prodigal son who did that, as we, in scriptures talks about him, he ran away, said, no, I just want my, I want my inheritance, runs away from God, and then he comes back and, and the father runs to him. 
God receives us back. Let's be those who actually run to God in strife instead of running from him. I've learned it's just so much easier. It's so much better. But I tell you what, there's a struggle, isn't there, with our emotions? Because we tend to live by the flesh. We tend to live, it's amazing how much we live by our emotions. We're called to be those who walk by faith. Not by the emotions. Now our emotions, I believe, are really, really important. That God's given us emotions. So, you know, if you take tablets that just take away your emotion, hello, I am now a robot because I have no emotion, you know, that's not good. But God has actually created us to have, uh, have emotion. The joys of the highs in life, the funs of life, that emotion is great. And sometimes there's days it's like they're a bit more sombre and then you, you, you need to go inside and start doing a bit of navel gazing. And think about this yourself. Gee, what am I thinking? There is time. There's good times. You know, Jesus wasn't mono emotions. He wasn't mono emotions. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of joys. He was fun to be around. He connected with people's emotions. Our emotions are really, really important. But they're not the things that are meant to rule us. They no longer rule me because my emotions are part of my soul. And when, when I got born again, even though there was no change, I was 15 at the time, there's been a lot of change in my body since then, you know, but anyway, but then I think I'm a bit smarter from then. However, when I got saved, my spirit was recreated, a brand new spirit was formed within me. And my spirit is what I need to actually go to, not to my emotions. I live by the spirit of God who actually guides me and I walk by faith. I walk by faith by God. And so the Holy Spirit will say, Roger, you know, pull out of it. You know, don't wallow in your emotions. And you think, oh, that's hard. I mean, I have been through some strife in, in my life, you know. I, people who don't know me, you know, you know, I've been through divorce. My, last, my, my, my late wife passed away from cancer. And so I had, had to walk through those things. They're not, they're not easy things. And there is emotions there is emotions. You know, I was told that grief is passionate sadness. Passionate sadness. If you've loved well, you'll miss, you'll miss so well, you know. So there is, but, but when we're called to be in, in with the living. And Karen, my, my late wife, she's now in heaven. She, she, is, she has graduated to God. And she is now one of the great hosts of witnesses looking down upon us, looking down even upon me and saying, go for it. And so now I've chosen, I'm thinking, I'm not going to wallow in a place of, could you meet some people who've lost a loved one and they can't get out of it. Their emotions take them captive. And yet the emotions that I've had to walk through, they were legitimate. And yes, I could still have those, there's, there's still emotions there, but they don't, they don't determine my destiny. You know, I have a God who's actually given me a hope for a beautiful future. Hope is good things to look forward to. And oh my goodness, God has brought Katrina into my life. Woohoo! I mean the land of the living. And we can overcome. You can overcome. Turn to your neighbour and say, I can overcome. You can overcome. We can overcome and we can overcome together. Don't consider your, the trials of life as punishment. That's right. Don't consider the trials of life as punishment. Right. How many times people say, this horrible thing is happening to me. Why is God punishing me? Yeah. Right. Is he? Is that the truth? No, it's not the truth at all. When Jesus came, he said, you're going to have storms and troubles in life. That's part of this fallen world that we live in. And God, through his infinite wisdom, I don't fully understand God's way. God is bigger than this little peanut of a brain. If you think that you can outthink God, <clears throat> you got it wrong, right? But the reality is that God actually is a God who redeems, he restores, he renews. But you, 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 there's, there's seasons where you go through brokenness. There's seasons where you go with it, you have nothing. Read Paul's story. 
He's gone through shipwrecks. He has been stoned three or four times, you know, bitten by snakes and stuff like that. So yet we keep on pressing on, you know, for the hope that waits for in glory, you know. But the reality is the trials. Here we go. How many people have come here today in a motor car? Put your hand up. Did the brakes work in your car today? They did? You know why the brakes work in your car? Is because engineers have tested those brakes, right? And they've made sure all those components on in that brake system in your car, your suspension, is all being tested to make sure it's up to the job it's called to do. Right. If you have have terrible suspension system and you put the brakes on, then suddenly all the front suspension gets ripped out underneath your car. You're not going anywhere now. It's all been tested. The brake disc, even the metal there, they've put it into the metallurgists. They've gone in there and they've had a look through a microscope and so I can see the molecular structure of this metal is appropriate for the use that we're going to use it. I'll give it a thumbs up. You can use it for a brake rotor. It won't shatter and fall to pieces. Ta-da! It's been engineered test. You think, oh, what are you talking about? You know, there are, there are bridges in the world that when they first discovered iron, they built bridges out of, like, pig iron, I think they were called, pig iron. Looked great, it was fantastic. But it had, it was brittle as all, get out of here. You know, and they had terrible catastrophes where bridges went, and they died, Right? Because they didn't, they didn't understand the properties. Now, God understands your properties. He knows what's in you and he tests you and he tries you because he wants to form you and make you stronger and stronger spiritually. He's forming you. Your trials aren't there as punishment. Your trials are there to prove that you've made of it. You've got the stuff in you. You've got God in you. You're resilient. You're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. We've come this far. We've gone through the trials. Can I tell you, there's more trials coming, but we're, we're ready for it. We're okay. We can pull ourselves up. Not be, not, let's not be wallowing with emotion of the past. The past is done. Lord, I just hand over everyone's past to you right now. Just close your eyes right where you are right now. Lord, I just pray over every single person right now. Lord, that you would see, see them where they are right now. Lord, you know the struggles they've been through. Lord, I just pray that every single person would see that you were always there in the midst of the storm and the trials of life. And Lord, that you didn't bring those trials, Lord, to punish them, Lord, but, the, but to actually lift them up to know that they're strong enough for them to trust in you even more. That your Holy Spirit is sufficient. The work of the cross is sufficient for every single one. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, just lay your burden at the cross. The Bible says to lay your burden at the cross. Bring it to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I hand my worries to you. My concerns, I hand them to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you have a beautiful future for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How good is God? God says, I am. He says, I am with you. I am your God. Isaiah 41, 10, we read this. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Let's say this together. I am with you. I am with you. That's the call of our Heavenly Father. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God's victorious right hand is Jesus Christ. He sits on the right hand of the Father. And he's glorious. And he lifts us up. When he ascended into heaven, not only did he ascend, but he actually went up there so that he could send the Holy Spirit to dwell within, within each and every one of us. You have the Holy Ghost living within you. Have you ever stopped and considered, within little old me is Almighty God's Spirit has chosen to reside within me. Wow. Paul says this, he says, that you have the mind of Christ. So I don't have to think on human levels. I have got the ability to actually think in, with the connection of God from heaven's perspective. And God is above all things. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He even knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Wow. Useless information, but he knows it because <laughs> he knows you. And we're in relationship with him. He dwells within us. And no matter where you go, God is with you. 
Scripture says, even if you make your bed in hell, God will be with you. You can't run away from God. Can I tell you, when you walk out the door today, if you're a Christian, you've had asked him to, to be your Lord and Saviour, his Holy Spirit is within you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you, when you walk out of here, you carry God with you. There is no separation from you and God. When engineers were setting up the connection of two metals, they get feeler gauges. You know, the guys who have done the own, their own mechanics of their cars in days gone by before electronic ignition, you'd have to pull out the feeler gauges, didn't you, Phil? You know, and you'd make sure there was a gap there in certain parts. You had to have a certain tolerance. Well, God's tolerance for you and me, you can't fit a feeler gauge between you and God. There's nothing... Nothing that separates you from God. How can there be any separation from you when he actually dwells within you? You carry him with you every single moment of the day. This is good news. It's good news. Don't walk away and go, oh, I don't think God's left me. No, he hasn't. We walk by faith. The word of God says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in there. Can't get him out. It's good. You can't get him out. He's in there. You can't get him out. He's in there for good. Because he says, the price was paid. Jesus paid the price. You're, you're, you were stolen goods. You know that, don't you? You were stolen goods. Jesus goes in there, the police department, you know. I'm getting that stolen good. I'm putting the money down. My life, I'm purchasing that one back. Whoa, we're set free. He set the captives free, you and me. Woo! We belong to him and he's chosen. What am I going to do with you? I'm going to live within you. And the amazing thing is, you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are cathedrals. You know, if you're a cathedral, there's more of God in you. How good is God? And God, God is, oh man, God's so good, isn't he? Uh, God God is so wonderful. He will fulfill his promises. His promises are yes and amen. The fourth I am is that God is the great I am. The great I am. When Moses encountered God in the burning bush, God tells him his name. We read in Exodus 3, 13 to 14, it says, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and, and tell them the God of your ancestors sent, sent me to you, they will ask, what, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replies to Moses, I am who I am. <sighs> a bit more, a bit more um, bass in my voice there. <clears throat> Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Oh, woo! You know, isn't it amazing that God, when he chooses to name himself, he says, I am. Come on. Now, when you, why is it that? He says, he says, I am. I am. I am. God always has been, always will be. And he is the great I am. And nothing can shake him. You can say to him, Anything you want, and he just stands there. I am. Oh my goodness. What a comeback line for all your problems. I am. Is God your saviour? I am. How awesome is that? Will I stand with you for all eternity? I am the one who stands. You know, that is my God. You, there's, no, there's no wussiness about my God. He's got that really deep voice. What's that name of the guy that did um, Darth? Charleston Hurston or something, you know? Yeah. Even a better voice than the guy did Darth Vader, you know? <laughs> but my God, the great I am, the great I am. Oh, listen, this is some of the attributes of the great I am. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. He is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He was always everywhere. He is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. He is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. 
oh my goodness, the world is looking for truth and people are actually trying to find their own truth and you need to turn to the great I am and you'll discover the truth for your life as well as the truth of what all of our existence is all about. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangeably kind and full of goodwill. This is my God. And the accusations fly all the time. God's doing horrible things all the time, but he's not. He is a good God. Now, God has his perfect will and then he has his will that he has allowed things to happen. Think, Why did that happen? God's word is so good. When he said to Adam and Eve, he said, I give you dominion over this world, to rule over this world. God's word is true. He doesn't change his world. Guess what? You and I are sons and daughter of Adam and Eve and we still have been given that authority to rule in this world. Now, Adam and Eve, they actually slipped up and gave that authority to the enemy. And God can't say, oh, oh no, look, I'll just, I'll take it back. I'll take it back what I said. No, I'm, gonna, I'm now gonna have dominion. No, he gave dominion to, uh, to us. And it was, we have given it away to Satan, okay? Now Jesus comes, why did Jesus come as a man? Because a man gave away the authority, a man needed to come back and take it back. Because God had given man the authority. It was no longer God's problem, it was man's problem. So how does God deal with a man's problem? He becomes one of us and he's now a man. So legitimately, he can actually go in there and he can actually get back what, what was stolen. Now in a court of law, there's always precedences. Are you familiar with the precedent? And the precedent is that if one person or one case is set up as being, this is the precedent, then that will determine the law for everybody. So what happens is Jesus comes down, Satan's saying there's no one perfect, no one can get their act together. They're all sinners, they all deserve to go to hell. God says, wanna bet I'm gonna send you a son? My son's going to there and be the son of man who's going to come down there and he's going to walk amongst men and walk on this earth and he's going to prove to Satan that he can do it without sinning. He, so Jesus comes, he lives his life always in connection with God. He's led with the, by the Father all the time. He says, I only do that which my Father tells me to do. So he wasn't led astray by this world. He wasn't led astray even when he was tempted by by Satan, he didn't buy into it. He used the word of God to cut across those, those lies. And he went in and then he hung on the cross and he paid the penalty and he proved to Satan, buddy, you're defeated. Your case is dismissed in the courts because I am, a perfect, I am perfect. A perfect man, Jesus was 100% human. He hung on the cross and paid the price for you and me. And he set up the precedent that eternity is now available for you and me. And all we have to do is claim the precedent. I claim the precedent in the courts of heaven that Jesus was the perfect man. He died for me in my place and now I can stand before the Father with no condemnation. The, the case is, you know, the case is closed and the gavel comes down. The gavel has come down for you. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, this is what my God has done. He's not an evil God. He's a good God. He came and he saved us from our circumstance that we put ourselves in. And his word is true and his promises are true because he said, I'll give you the authority, the dominion of the world. Do you get it? We have the dominion. If you look across the world, the resources that God has given us that every man and woman should not lack, they're there. And yet, if you look at the politics, governments, leaders, even our, ourselves, sort of thing, the selfishness in mankind. We don't look after our brothers and sisters, our neighbours, you know, so there's lack, there's suffering. And so, you know, the, the, real, the buck does start, stop on us. But God is a good God. Amen? He is a good God. He is just. He is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all he does. And I thank God that he is a just God because evil men do, and women do evil things and there needs to be justice. Who likes justice? I like justice as long as it's not for me. We're a bit that way, aren't we? You want somebody else to get busted for the wrong they did, but don't, oh, well, yeah, you want the light case. But the reality is that my God is a just God. So the wrongs that have been happened to us and to others, there will be a day of judgment. It waits, he is a just God. 
But he's used his justice and his mercy are equal because the cross fulfilled his justice. If the, for us, the penalty for our sin was dealt with justly by Jesus' death. Okay, he didn't say, oh, I will forget about it. Sorry, oh, that's me. Sorry about, sorry about that. Oh, it's a bad connection back there in my back. Um, sorry about that, Nathan. Where was I? Yes. So, that really threw my brain out too. I think I had a short in my brain. <laughs> anyway, so God is really good. Okay. He is just, isn't he? You know, and he will, he, and that's a good thing. And, but our salvation doesn't come, be, it's not favouritism. It's not favouritism. It is that he has made a just way for us to receive mercy through Jesus Christ. Whew, bang. Okay. All right. Uh, he is merciful. He is infinitely, unchangeably compassionate and kind. He is gracious. God is infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. And he is loving. God infinitely, unchangeably loves us. John says God is love. So it's his very character fully. It's not a part, just a part of him. That's his being. And then if you actually were to extract God from this world... If he was not to be present, he was, he was to withdraw his spirit, withdraw his breath from this world, there would be no love in this world because God is love. If you imagine what a world would be like where all love got extracted, there would be whole, the, the selfishness, the cruelty that would happen. And we, we, we don't realise the effect of Christianity when Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago, the effect that has happened in history because of Jesus and his love that's flown through us as Christians, where we've actually been able to, to bring out and actually share the love of God. And we've actually changed this globe. It is not the place it used to be. But the enemy would want to steal it back. And we can see even the, the, the affront of, against Christian Judaic um, principles in this world, in, in Australia, we can actually see the change and the shift and the cruelty that even our babies are actually given. They're saying, yes, they can be murdered even just when they're born. Wow. The most vulnerable creatures that God has gifted us, the procreation of another human being to hold in your arms and love and cherish and raise and, and introduce them to this world and show them the wonders and glories of this world and help them to discover all their, their gifts and talent that God has poured into them. And then to, for them to realise, oh, I made in the very image of God. And yet the enemy would say, snuff them out. Just like Pharaoh did, saying, kill all the young ones, kill them all. We'll try to kill them because he wanted to kill Jesus Christ. The enemy, he, he's got a plan to destroy us because he, he detests the very fact that we've been given the honour to be called sons and daughters of God. Right. <sighs> My God, he cries out, and those, every single one of those little babies that have actually lost their lives because of the cruelty of, of, the, of the hand of man or the, of the cruelty of, of sickness that takes them out early or a terrible accident, all those things that we know is horrible. My God stands in heaven. Jesus says, um, suffer the little children that they would come unto me. You know, let them come to me, let them come to me. And they're there, There's, there is a multitude of children waiting up in heaven. Every race from every continent, every island around the world, they're there rejoicing with Jesus. God, oh, that is the love of my God. That is what we have. We have a God who's loving and compassionate. He sees the, ch the children in that, and he lifts, takes them to us. How beautiful. So we've lost children. You need to actually know that they're safe in the arms of God. If I've lost, I've lost little ones before they were born. I held, the, held my little grandson. He was 20 weeks old, from, you know, 20 weeks short of getting born, you know, and he you know, held his little form. His name was Christian. He's in heaven, you know. I have a son in heaven. His name is David. I never got to know him. He miscarried. But God receives him. This is the God of our love. This is my God. This is who he is. Don't forget about it. He loves, he loves, he loves. God is holy. He is infinitely, unchangeably perfect. He is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. And we've been created in his own image. Do you realise that? Have you ever stopped and wondered by, about that? Sorry about that. Get a bit carried away there, don't I? See, emotions are good. I'm not saying don't get rid of them. 
In Genesis 1.26, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that uh, creeps on the earth. Can I get, let me use those up, please. This is our God. How beautiful and generous is our God that he chose to create you in his likeness? That's his choice. You've been created in the very likeness of God to have dominion on this world. And he has given you the the ability to, to, to love and to cherish, to be creative. We have a creative God. We have a God who shows mercy and he's made, our, taken, made us in his own image that we can show mercy to those around about us as well. This is our God, that he has done that for us. So my, my fifth I am, my final I am that I share is that I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. Now there's many, many voices in this world who would actually try to label you and st- tell you who you are. But there's only one person who can truly tell you who you are. And that is the very person who created you and formed you in your mother's womb, who thought of you even before you were conceived. And He wanted you. That's my God. And you are so precious. You're so precious to God. You know, our identity, how we see ourselves is so important. Can you shift your identity if it's not under what God is saying about you? Can I challenge you today? Can you actually start to take captive all those thoughts that say that you're not what God says you are? And we are not what we do, we are who we are because of what God has made us to be and what Jesus has done for us. It's not what you do. We're not human to do the human doings. We're human beings. We need to be from who God has made us to be. This is the beautiful, this is, there's beauty in this for us to discover who we are because of what God has done. But for us to fully understand who we are, we need to fully grasp who God is. Because if you have misconceptions about who God is and His character, it'll be reflected on you. If you know who He is and His reflection is in me, then I can get to know who I am. Who is God? He is who He says He is. It's written in the Word of God. And there's a whole list of who we are also in Scripture. And Jesus says this about your identity. He says in John 15, 5, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And our identity has to be positioned. Where do you position yourself? This is, remember, I was saying there's no separation between us and God. Jesus says He is the vine. We think of the vine and we are the branches. We are grafted in, into that, into that, that vine. We're secure in that. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our identity must be, we can see that God has created us, that Jesus has saved us, but Jesus now has become our life. Here's my life and I need to be connected in with Him and He's given us our Holy, the Holy Spirit. I'm connected into the very side of Jesus and my life grows from that. If I am connected, what good is a branch when it just, if it's not connected to the vine? Scripture says the vine just, just throws it into the fire. It's not necessary. You can't do anything. You can't bear fruit. And the fruit doesn't come from the branch. The fruit comes because of the life stream that comes from the, from the vine. And this is, we need to see ourselves. I'm connected with God. I'm never separated from Him. He has a purpose and a plan for me. And He wants me to bear much fruit. He wants me to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that I'm kind and loving and caring and I can be a representative for God, a great representative to those around about, about to be part of a church here where we actually gather together and encourage one another. We love one another and God's love comes through us. You know, God's love comes through me and it comes out as me. It comes in through me, comes out as me. I love as Roger loves. And that's okay, God has created me to love in a certain way and He'll show His love. In here. But, but the perfect me is when I'm connected to God and I'm allowing His life to flow th- 
through me. His love, His mercies, His grace, all His gifts are flowing through me. But He doesn't want to change me to be something who I'm not. He wants to change me into who God ultimately originally planned me to be. Let's take us back to the original plan. What was God's purpose and plan for you? He created you to be like God. He created you to have His character. He he created you to be able to show His love to those around about as you though. And we're not meant to become little clones of one another. Some churches may be, so just do this, do this and be this. And so you're a clone of somebody else. We're not called to be clones. We're every single one of us are unique. You're unique, you're precious, you're valuable. God has created you, He's given you gifts, He's given you characters, all the different traits of the characters that some people can, you might be the, the, the party, the party princess. Fantastic, we need parties party, but we also need the person who's the melancholic who can write music and you know do art and you know then we need the choleric people, those those people who are the, the leaders and they've really got a purpose and you can build a church and establish the kingdom and then sanguines or the people who sit back, the, the, uh, just the audience people who are always going mate, you can do it, encouraging one another, all the different characters that we have. You have a unique character. God has given you unique gifts. When we surrender them to God, He can transform you into the very person that God wants you to be, which is your perfect self. And there's freedom in it. You can move freely in it. It's not like, oh no, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I was talking to Pastor Phil in our prayer meeting or our staff meeting. Someone said that uh, some religions or some, some denominations with all they're doing, all the things you have to do, it's a bit like painting by numbers. Any, anyone familiar with painting by numbers? We have put number five here, get number five. Number three there, put one number three here, had to put it. But for us, that's illegal. And you'll just paint the same painting that everyone else painted. No, 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 no. We've got free form painting. Woohoo! Bring out the page, brother. Hey, whatever colour you want, do it, apply it wherever you want. Let's be free to be free to be you. I don't want you to be a clone of me. For goodness sake, I've got to live with me all the time. I don't want another one. And God's up in heaven. No, no, don't. don't, don't." In Acts 17, 28a, we read this. For in Him, we live and move and have our being. Is that the declaration that you'd like to have on your life? That you are in Him and whatever you, when you move, it's with Him and you have your being. I want us to all reign in life. I'll get everyone to stand up right now. I went searching on the internet and I've got a couple of pages here of who you are in Christ, scriptures of who you are. If you ever do a search online, discover who you are. Listen to this. It says, I am God's child. I belong to God. I've been justified. I'm Christ's friend. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm chosen before the creation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I'm adopted as His child. I'm victorious. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I have been brought near to God through Christ's blood. I have peace. I have access to the Father. I am a member of God's household. I am secure. And the list goes on and on and on. And these are the promises of God about who you are, who I am. This is who we are. Let's be those Christians who say, I'm going to live from my am. We live from I am, who we are in Christ. We're not living from a lift of shoulds and shouldn'ts. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Remember the scripture I started off with, it says that we actually obey Jesus' commandments because he says, He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I'm in love with Jesus. Jesus is in love with you. Let's be those who step into the great I am because that'll determine who you really, really are. Thanks, Pastor.